Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are in the series we are calling Outrageous, looking at some of the outrageous claims, outrageous uh, commands of Jesus that you find all throughout Scripture. And one thing I wanted to say as we're in the series is, is to kind of let you know, Jesus didn't say these things just to be provocative. He didn't say these things just to kind of stir up controversy or to get attention to himself. He came to declare the kingdom of God and that anyone who would put their trust in him and follow him would become a part of this kingdom. But he said the kingdom of God looks a whole lot different than the kingdom of man. (laughs) And this is what it looks like when you become one of my followers. And so we've looked at a lot of these different um, kind of outrageous statements like your weaknesses can become your greatest strengths. Um, that, that greatness is found in serving other people um, and all kinds of things. This morning, we're going to look at the one, the command to love your enemies. And that might be one of the most outrageous of all of them um, because, you know, you, you, we acquire enemies all through our lives. You might, you might have enemies of people because they're of a different political persuasion of yours or might have a different belief system of yours or, or you don't like their behaviors. Um, you might be an enemy of someone who is a business rival. Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a co-worker who's just lazy and you've got to cover for all the time because they're not doing their work. You might have enemies um, that have hurt you in the past and you can't get over that. Or, or maybe you have hurt someone else and they're your enemy. It might be somebody who is, who is jealous of your successes and your achievements. It might be somebody that you are envious of their achievements and successes. But we all have this way of acquiring adversaries. Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, few of us go through life without acquiring a a certain segment of people that would not be terribly saddened to hear of our death. (laughs) Can you think of at least one person in your life that might qualify in that situation? I mean, anybody got any enemies this morning? I'm the only one. Come on. Be honest. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm sure you have acquired. If you don't know, maybe you can think of one this morning. But I'm sure there's at least one person that would fit in that category for you. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, love my enemies, love my enemies. I am just doing good if I don't flip someone off on the freeway when they cut me off in traffic. You know, I would love my enemies. This is, this is like way beyond me. How do you do that? What was Jesus talking about? Well, it's actually recorded twice in the gospel, in the gospel of Matthew and then again in the gospel of Luke. Both gospel writers wrote of this. So we're going to look at both of them. The first one is in Matthew chapter 5. It's in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He said these words, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends right on the right rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in case you thought that was maybe a mistake, Luke also writes some of the similar words of Jesus on another occasion. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, To those of you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. 
If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you're good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Love your enemies. Why would you want to do that? How? How could I possibly do that? Well, Jesus kind of expands on it a little bit. and He says, here are some ways to make that happen. He says, begin by praying for them. Just start by praying for them. Because this isn't something you're going to be able to do in your own strength. Jesus starts right where we're at. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, by the way, there is nowhere in Scripture where it says that. Okay? It does say the love your neighbor part, but the hate your enemies, that was kind of added on. That was, that was our addition to the law, okay? Um, because the, the big question comes up, Jesus said, love, the Bible says, and Jesus, was, when he was asked about it, what was the greatest commandment? It said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, that always begs the question, who's my neighbor? You might remember, one of the teachers of the law came and asked Jesus about that. Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus told them a story about a Samaritan who was his enemy. (laughs) Who's my neighbor? Because what I would want to know is, okay, where can I stop loving? You know, how I can, tell me the group of people I can love and then tell me the group of people that I can hate. Because I want to know. I don't want to have to love everybody. I just, and that's human nature, by the way. We have this nature to divide into us versus them. And we do it all the time. There was a study done, classic study done a number of years ago um, with boys at a summer camp. And what they did is when the, all these kids came together, um, they divided them into group, two different groups, group A, group B. And, um, and they wanted to kind of get a baseline for this whole idea of this us-them men, mentality. And so what they did was they gave to one of the campers, they said, okay, um, just kind of as a baseline. They didn't do anything else except they just divided them up into groups. But they wanted to kind of know how does this whole us versus them thing get started. So they gave them a little bit of money. And he said, okay, you get to reward whoever you want. You got to reward at least one person from your team, one person from the other team. But you get to decide how much. Because I thought, you know, we kind of divided out evenly. And then over the course of the week, as the intensity and the rivalry grew, that it would happen less and less toward the other team. What they found from the very, very get-go, the very first opportunity, when it came time to divide it up, he gave more to the member of his own team. Even though he didn't even know the kid, he gave more to the member of his team just because he was on my tide. That's how deep this runs. It goes all the way. And, and if you, by the way, are sitting there and you're thinking, well, yeah, but if it was, it was a girls' camp, that wouldn't happen that way. Okay. That just proves the whole thing. You think the girls are better than the boys, okay? It's human nature. We want to know, who is worthy of my love? Who do I not have to love? Jesus said this way. God's love is indiscriminate. God's love is indiscriminate. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
Pray for those who persecute you, he said, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, Jesus is saying, do these people enjoy the same sunshine that you enjoy? Do they breathe the same air that you breathe? Do they benefit from the same rains that you benefit from? Then you got to love them. If they fit in that category, you love them. Because God's love is indiscriminate. He makes the sun to shine on everybody, the same sun. He sends the same rain to water the crops of everybody in the same way. That's the love of God. So where do you start? You start by praying for them. Because that takes a change on the inside. That is not something you're going to be able to do in your own strength. You start by praying. Because in there, what you begin to acknowledge is, God, I don't love this person. In fact, you might even start your prayer that way. Your your prayer for your enemy might start, God, you know how much I hate that person. (laughs) Confession is always a good place to start with your prayers, okay? But then eventually the prayer becomes, God, would you change my heart? So that I begin to see them the way that you see them. Would you give me that perspective to help me realize that they're just like me? Because when you realize, when you come to God and you realize how dependent you are on his grace. And that at one time you were his enemy. But he loved you anyway. And the only reason you have a connection with him is because he acted in that love toward you. When you begin to realize you are no more deserving of that love than anybody else, that you are just a flawed human being, just like your enemy is, that they are not the the big evil person that you made them out to be. They're just flawed, just like you. Well, maybe a little worse than you, okay? (laughs) But you're flawed too, and that's the idea. When you start with prayer, it starts God working on your heart, and that's where it's got to begin. But he says, you take it a step further than that. Not only do you pray for them, but then he says, now speak well of them. Determine to speak well of them. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Now understand, this is nothing. Nobody ever taught like this before. Nobody. In fact, in fact, typically um, in Roman culture, which was surrounding all of Israel at the time, in Roman culture, they actually prayed curse prayers on people. And we know this because a lot of these have been unearthed in archaeological digs. In fact, a while back, there was a, a great archaeological dig in England, Bath, England, um, which has got its name because it was an extension of the Roman Empire, outreach of the Roman Empire a long, long time ago, and they actually had baths there. And they unearthed these baths, and what they found was a whole bunch of these, what they called curse tablets. And they were just sheets of lead, thin sheets of lead. Here's a picture of one. They, they would inscribe a curse. And that some have been actually translated. And I found one this week, and I thought, I just got to read this to you. Now, this is, this is an edited version, okay? But this is a curse tablet. It is written, uh, it is a curse written to the goddess Pros- Pros- Prosperina, excuse me, Proserpina, um, who is the goddess of the underworld, husband to Pluto, the god of the underworld, the Roman god of the underworld. And this is what the curse writes. Good and faithful Proserpina, wife of Pluto, snatch away the health the body, the complexion, the strength, and the faculties of Polodius. Hand them over to Pluto, your husband. Hand them over to fevers so that they wrestle and struggle with him. Let him him overcome to the point that they snatch away his soul. Thus I give you this victim. 
These I offer to you, Proserpina. I give over to you the head of Plotius, son of Avonia. Proserpina, I, over, I give to you over the head of Polodius. I give over to you the forehead of Polodius. I give over to you the eyebrows of Polodius. I give over to you the eyelids of Polodius. I give over to you the pupils of, of Polodius. Proserpina, I give over to you the nostrils, lips, ears, nose, tongue, and teeth of Polodius, so that he may not be able to say what is causing him pain. The neck, the shoulders, the arms, the fingers, so that he may not be able to aid himself in any way. His breast, liver, heart, and lungs, so that he may not be able to discover the source of his pain. His intestines, stomach, navel, and sides, so that he may not be able to sleep. His shoulder blades, so that he may not be able to sleep soundly. His sacred organs, so that he may not be able to urinate. His rump, thighs, knees, shanks, sins, feet, ankles, heels, toes, and toenails, so that he may not be able to stand on his own strength. I hand over and consign Polodius to you so, you will care, that, so that you will take care of him by the end of the month of February. Let him perish miserably. Let him leave life miserably. Let him be destroyed miserably. Take care of him so he may not see another month. I don't know what Polodius did, but he really ticked this guy off. And that was the edited version. That is normal. That is normal in that culture and in ours. Not to pray for the well-being or to bless someone, but to call a curse down on him. Jesus says, no, no, no. In the kingdom of God, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. The word bless, literally, it's, it's the Greek word, it's, 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 it's a combination of two words. The first half is you, E-U, and the second half is logos, which means word, and it means good word. And it's actually a word that we use in English, eulogy. When you go to a funeral and people speak well of the person who has died and they give a eulogy, they speak well of, that's the word bless. And what Jesus is saying is, don't wait until they're dead and gone to look at their good qualities, to speak well of them. Start now. Same idea is carried over in the way that it's written in Matthew's gospel. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Now again, that Greek, is the Hebrew word is shalom. To greet meant not just to acknowledge their presence, but to actually speak peace to them. When you would greet someone, you would say, God's peace with you, shalom. Saying, okay, If you're just taking baby steps, maybe the first thing to do is not speak bad about. Like maybe you'll be in a conversation with a bunch of friends who are talking about somebody else and what a horrible person they are, and you just got to add fuel to the fire. Maybe the first step, or maybe the baby step for you is to just shut up and don't add fuel to the fire. Maybe for you it's just not to speak bad about that person. But maybe the next step you could take would be to actually defend them. And point out a good characteristic or quality of that person. Determined to speak well about them. And maybe, maybe even to the point where you could speak to them face to face and say good things to them. Speak life into them. Wish them well. What happens is when you pray, you begin to ask God to change your heart. When you begin to speak blessings, you start to put it into practice. 
And there's something that affirms what's going on in your heart when you're able to speak it out loud. And that's why Jesus said, it's one thing, it's good, it's a good start. Start by praying for them. But more than just praying for them, which is a really, really good thing to do and really, you know, a good practice, but then start to speak well of them. And something else, tangibly do good to them. Act it out. Love your enemies, he says. Do good to those who hate you. In other words, choose to treat them as if you like them. Now that's not fake it till you make it kind of an idea. What it really is, is it's saying, God, I'm asking you to change my heart towards this person. And I'm going to take some tangible steps of obedience to solidify that. Would you keep changing my heart as I keep acting in loving obedience to you? And what happens is, as you go through each of these, as you begin to pray for somebody else, and your heart begins to change just a little bit, and you begin to be able to say at least one good thing about that person, it, it reinforces that. And then you begin to do good for that person, and it begins to change your heart even more so you can pray more honestly and more intently so that you can speak more clearly a blessing, so that you can do more good to them. And it builds upon and builds upon and builds upon. How do you love your enemies? How can you possibly? Why would I do that? Because they are a human being that Jesus Christ died for. They are someone that God loves. And maybe you can't see that right now. But you're not going to change God's heart toward them. He wants to change your heart toward them. So he says, pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. And when you do that, you become a little bit more like Christ. Then you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. It's like every time you do this, God looks down and says, That's my boy. That's my girl. That's my son. That's my daughter. It's expressing the character and qualities of our loving Heavenly Father. Can you imagine what a difference that would make in this world? We talk about changing the way people view the church. What would it look like if people began to see the church as a group of people who truly love their enemies? Because right now, I think most of the perception is we are people who hate we protest against, we, we fight against, we do all kinds of things against other people. Jesus never did that. Never did that. What if, what if we could change that? What would that look like? Now, last week when we were talking, talked about, I gave you a sentence for the week. The sentence was just each day that this past week to find one person where you could say to them, what can I do for you? Practice servanthood, okay? I'm going to give you another sentence this week. And the sentence is this, now's my chance. Okay? And practice saying this out loud with me, would you? Now's my chance. One more time. Now's my chance, okay? You may not speak this out loud, and, 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 but I guarantee you, you will have an opportunity this week. 
you will have an opportunity this week. Someone, you will be in a conversation and someone will speak, begin speaking badly about somebody that you know that's actually your enemy that you would love to pile on top. But in that very moment when you are tempted to say something and add fuel to the fire, you're going to stop for a moment and just say to yourself deep down inside, now's my chance. Somebody's going to cut you off in traffic this week and you're going to want to flip them off. But in the very moment that you're starting to raise your finger off the handle, off the, off the, the steering wheel of the car, you're going to stop for just a moment and say to yourself, now's my chance. Now's my chance to do something differently. Someone who has hurt you will come to you and need your help. And it's going to take everything within you to stop for a moment and say, now's my chance. You didn't say that one very loud. <laughs> now's my chance. Now's my chance to do something different. Now's my chance to react differently. Now's my chance to love my enemy. Now's my chance to become a little bit more like Christ. Now's my chance for my heavenly father to look down on me. And say, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's my girl. And it'll change the hearts of people toward God. Because, you see, that's what Jesus did. Paul writes about it this way. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of of his son. It's exactly what he did. We were his enemies. We were in an adversarial position with him. We were doing things our own way for our own reasons, for our own benefit, not thinking about him, not wanting his leadership in my life, not wanting really what he brought to my life. But he came anyway and he loved me. And he gave his life on the cross. So that I could be reconciled. So I could be made right. Now he's saying, now's your chance. Now's your chance. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.